and welcome to the Rolling Ball, the Leicester Tigers fans podcast back again after a convincing home victory over the Exeter Chiefs. This was actually the first premiership match we reviewed, Elliot. Do you remember how I started the intro for that way back at the start of the 2021-22 season? Was it very smug? Yeah, and it was also what we thought was a bit of a joke going over the top. I started saying, we got to win the league, we got to win the league. Now, the momentum we've got up, and the fact it's a little bit too close to playoff season, I'm starting to think that I, I don't want to risk singing that. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, we are in that sort of territory of, it's a little bit, it becomes a little bit more real at the moment, but we are in um, a pretty good position overall. Um yeah, it's pretty staggering considering where we were a couple of months ago. So, yeah. or, or last year when I sang it to take the piss and we ended up winning the thing. And now because we've already won it and there is legitimately a chance that it might help us win the league, I don't want to sing it. It's weird it. how that works, isn't it? It's funny how we all have different um, sort of superstitions and um, fears about different things. And I, like, I, like, I like you're not taking any risk. There's a zero risk approach to this. Yeah, well, it's, it's like before playing games, players have their own routines. I had my own ones that I'm not going to share with people because it generally involved me getting overtly angry, which I never do. So it always took me about half an hour to get myself angry enough to play. And uh, the, the weirdest superstitions I always thought were, did you ever play football manager? On the uh, once or twice. PC? Yeah, yeah, once yeah. Or yeah, twice. yeah. One, one or two years spent on it or so. But they had, um, I always remember like when I started playing that when I was 13, 14, my mates and I always agreed that the only way you could win was actually if you didn't watch the game whilst it was unfolding, which wasn't particularly realistic when you think about it. Imagine, I mean, to be fair, Brendan Rodgers might as well have been doing that with Leicester City, I suppose, just turning his back and not watching it. Um, I don't yeah. think he did any managing either. No, no. Maybe he adopted my 13-year-old Leicester City approach. Um, it's still still won us the league. If you cancel and start the, each game enough time, you'll eventually win it. So... Um, yeah, that was my trick. But um, but there we go. Um, you were at the game on Sunday afternoon. Usually quite a quiet affair Sunday afternoon games. But from the sounds of it, and obviously from the occasion that w- went with it, it was an absolute banger at Mattioli Woods Welford Road. Yeah, I'm not sure if it how it came through on the TV, but in the ground, I thought the atmosphere was probably the best I've heard it all season. And pop- up there is possibly one of the best post-COVID you know, as we've all returned over the last couple of years back to the grounds, I think probably up there is the best um, I've heard it in the in the ground. I think it was brilliant. Um, not sure whether it was the crowd responding to the players or um, vice versa. And obviously the, the the occasion with the excitement about Ashton, I do think all of us, whether we meant to or not, were sort of just going, just give a ball to Ashton, just give a ball to Ashton, just give a ball to Ashton. And we were, I think there was, you, you talk about your football way, like, you, you can suck the ball into the net when your team's attacking um, your end. There was almost a willingness of getting the ball into Ashton's hands from the crowd each time we got the ball, which was which was exciting. Um, no, it was a really good atmosphere and it was a good, fun game. And I've, me and the old man worked out that that's the biggest victory we've seen in the flesh. Obviously, I know mm-hmm. Tigers had bigger victories, but um, you know, one year under Jono, we put 80 points past Newcastle at home one year. Yeah. Which is a fabulous occasion. We also, um, didn't we put seventy on Bristol at the um, the Chris Bowl as well as it used to be Walker's Bowl at the Walker Stadium? Yeah, yeah. I know we've had a couple of good victories over the years, but for me in in the flesh, that was the biggest victory I've seen, which was um, which was always exciting. So um, yeah, we we seem to have a nice 
we should, we should probably play Leinster every year because whilst we get battered by them, <laughs> we then go out for next week and and, and absolutely tortured the and so, the unfortunate souls who get to play us afterwards because we did Bristol an absolute treat last year um, after I th- Leinster. I think wasn't Bristol before Leinster last year. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, that ruins that. But well, no, well, it doesn't because we still ended up winning all our games after losing to Leinster. I'm pretty sure and. Um... Yeah, winning the league anyway. So we'll call it the Leinster bounce, and we'll we'll, we'll go with like it. That. Yeah, I exactly. I got a, I got Dublin flu. Thankfully, the team didn't. Right, let's move on instead. I suppose the big news, and we want to thank everyone uh, for voting in the Sports Podcast Awards. Um, where, well, we didn't win it, but we took the moral victory. I think, Elliot. I will take any moral victory. I'll, just, I'll, I'll take a podium place. We got top three. We got we came third. Uh, in the uh, best team podcast, we lost out to the Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur uh, fans podcast, which are paid for, promoted, uh, and edited and circulated by the Athletic, uh, which is a very good general sports publication. But we were basically we were against the money men, weren't we? We were we were the only we we're the highest rated independent team podcast anyway. We did it for the Indies, yeah, um, exactly for the people. Of the people, for the people, by the people, yeah. um, and also rather entertainingly, we, we beat the RFU. So um, <laughs> and the ECB, but they're in everyone's good books at the moment. So now, oh, well, fucking, we beat them as well. Well, so. the, can we add that to Bill Sweeney's list of fa- failures in charge of the RFU? He can't even get their podcast to beat us, and the, the most heinous of all his crimes, in a way. Oh well, fuck him, yeah. fuck him. Should be should do a better podcast, but there we go. Sorry, Bill. Um, anyway, not sorry. Not, yes, hashtag not sorry. Uh, let's also talk about some reviews because we had some uh, nice reviews. I suppose we put out a call to say, yeah, thanks to our uh, Leinster friend who gave us a one-star review calling us uh, delusional r- uh, rubbish. We then had a very nice counter review to that, didn't we? I think calling us delusional brilliance. I'll take anything. As we as we said, we were upset with the rubbish comment. Delusional sort of comes with the territory. Mm. Um, the rubbish comment was the one that upset us the most. Yeah, delusional excellence. But uh, no, we did have a couple of really nice reviews over the last few weeks. So thank you very much for that. Uh, we had uh, one from uh, Adam Lubbock who said delusional brilliance, like we just mentioned. Uh, and this was an interesting one. So it had two reviews. Um, which uh, one was five star and one was four star. The four star one was really really nice. It said very entertaining, uh, personal listening. Just slight issues. Sometimes it's a bit overlong, feels a bit baggy. Could do with an editor. Tell you what, if there is someone who wants to do the edit for for complete free, because say we don't get any money from the pod, but if somebody wants to do our editing for us, I'd be very very thankful. Um, and you wouldn't get any credit whatsoever, apart from maybe a, a pint when we see you. But uh, I've really sold that job, haven't I? Um, but um, then I completely agree, actually, with uh, what you said there, Daily Waffle, because I I sometimes think our pod's a bit too long. But we came to a conclusion that it's better to have it too long than too short because you can skip it or you can even play it at 1.5 speed and make it sound like chipmunks, which is quite fun. You get your um, money's worth with us, let's put it that way. We're good value. We, <laughs> you'd be hard, hard pushed not to get the money's worth because it's free. I mean, we'd have to be actively shit, like actively offensive to people to make make it not worth their money when it's oh, free. Oh, that's true. That yeah. is true. true. <laughs> so, so I absolutely take what you say on board, uh, Daily Waffle. But uh, then on the flip side of that, um, maybe somebody saw that review because EJM30 said, love the pod, uh, perfect for Tigers fans, great amount of one-eyedness. And I love the length. It's basically going over every single moment from each match, especially when we've won, which is great. Uh, so 
as you say, it's one of those things where you can't please everyone. If, if you do think it's long, I'm sorry. We are aware of it, but there's no sort of perfect answer. And um, we've added chapter markers if you listen on Apple Podcasts. So hopefully you can skip past sections that you're not bothered about if you're not bothered about the preview, etc. cetera. Um, then hopefully that'll help. Uh, but thank you, everyone. Uh, I also want to give a very, very quick shout out as well to um, Charlotte Walters, who sent us a lovely email. Have you read this one in the inbox, Elliot? Uh, I literally just have uh, five minutes ago. Oh, do you, do, you, do you want to go and um, give a shout out then? Because I've waffled on for too long. No, no, no. You're, you're, a, you're on a roll. All right. Okay. Well, um, she gets in touch to say that she's uh, subjected, uh, sorry, indoctrinated her uh, teenage girls to us and basically get, got them into Leicester Tigers, partially thanks to listening to the podcast in the morning. So now I feel slightly bad about the swearing on it. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sure they know the words already. So I- I'm very, very effing sorry for all the swearing that takes place on the podcast but we're, we're glad that it's uh, helped you fall in love with Leicester Tigers and the big news for them is uh, being Charlotte and her daughter is that they're going to the um, the end of season dinner at Welford Road and they because they're sponsors of Julian Montoya they're going to be sat next to him and are wondering have we got any questions sort of icebreakers to suggest to the emperor um just uh, firstly, I'll, I'll put your mind at ease. That the players go to these things all the time, and they're told that they've got to be, you know, engaging and not shut off, like you see Premier League footballers. I think that's that video circulating of Arsenal players at the moment, aren't there? So, I'm sure you'll be very, very friendly and engaging. You'll be interested to hear about you as well, Charlotte. But if you want some questions, Elliot, what what would be the first thing you'd ask Julian? Oh, I would never. Uh, to be fair, I'd like to know his pre-match routine. How does he get himself into like the state of emperorness? Yeah, um, for a game. Like, what does he do? Just like make a sacrifice or something? Does he like how does he like how does he become such a king on the day? Does he go full Roman? Like, yeah, like like Henry VIII. Just like three course meal with grapes and wine and port. Does he go like that? No, I'd love to. I'd love to know pretty much routine of how to, um, especially in the forwards, especially like Julian, who is so magnificent when he crosses the white line. What does he do on a match day? How does he build himself up to a state of being so glorious when he uh, when he takes the field? It'd be interesting to see how he uh, how he does it. Yeah, I agree. I think that'd be really really good. Uh, I, I'd also ask him uh, just on half the pod: Is he aware that there's this nickname of the Emperor that's floating around? Um, it'd be quite interested to to hear that as well. But I mean, he... and does he know that we gave it to him? Yeah, basically, this is us trying to squintle our way in to try and get some level of credit from the great man. So don't worry about that one, Charlotte, but you're going to have a fantastic time uh, next to the great, uh, next to the emperor. Um, and I'm sure he will be very, very amenable to, to you and your daughter. Um, also, thank you very much for MP uh, getting in touch, saying, uh, same hold Leicester, always boring. Um, alluding to some of the fantastic rugby we played over the weekend. We'll uh, crack on with that later as well. Um he said, also, shame we didn't win the award. We were robbed. But um, thank you, uh, Michael Phillips, for getting in touch there. That was fantastic. Uh, as always, I think that's it. The only other plug I'm going to do is um, yeah, my run, which is coming up much sooner than I expected. Well, not. It was always on the 6th of May, the morning that we play Harlequins. But uh, I'm running a Tough Mudder 15K for the 4Ed Foundation, uh, which raises money for uh, neurone disease research and awareness. Uh, if you can donate, please do so. I decided to up my target from 500 quid to a thousand pounds, largely thanks to everyone's generosity. If you haven't uh, donated yet, please, please do so. It's the pinned tweet uh, on our profile. And it would be amazing if you could spare anything just to help me get to that 1000 pound mark. Uh, as far as training's going, uh, I ran 10K today for the first time in two years. Um, 
and I'm pretty sure when I came in through the door, my wife thought I was like, about to be hospitalised because it, it was it wasn't a pretty sight. We'll put it that way. But I've got another three weeks to try and up it to 15k and do it without looking like a blubbering red mess. Just um, think of the Guinness I'll buy you at the end. Like on Saturday afternoon when you make it to Leicester, just think of that pint of cold Guinness I will buy you. Mm. It's very much the fat man's approach to fitness, isn't it? Think of the booze and food at the end of the race. I'm not paying uh, for your food. Whatever, 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 whatever pay- works. I'm not paying for your food, mate. I'm not made of money, but I'll buy a beer. <laughs> yeah, very good point, because I'm going to be hungry after that. Uh, anyway, if you want to leave us a review, please do so on Apple or Spotify. It means a lot to us. And if you want to get in touch, our handle on Twitter is at RollingMallPod, and our email address is therollingmall at outlook.com. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martins have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martins Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. Right, let's go and hit the beep, 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 beep news section. And let's start with Leicester Tigers women, because we have got a Twickenham date, haven't we, Elliot? Yes, we're off We're off to London. <laughs> off to sunny, bloody London. We're going to take over your town, mate. Oh, this is dreadful. It's like a really shit sort of foreign episode of EastEnders. <laughs> um, like Guy Ritchie film, Gone Wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll knock the bad cockney accents on the head but let's uh talk about how we got there because uh lesser tigers 31 old albanian ladies 19 knockout rugby it's always a bit tighter a bit closer i think from what i hear the score perhaps makes it look a bit closer than it actually was but it was undoubtedly a harder game than the two league games um unheard of for the uh, girls to concede 19 points i suppose mm. um but we're getting to the business end of the season now. So I say these things are always going to get tightened up, aren't they? Absolutely. Again, it's another new experience for the team. Um, and it's actually a good thing. Again, it's a good thing to be tested in different ways and to have different scenarios thrown at them because obviously everything is now, for me, is always seen through the prism of next season where the challenges are going to keep on coming. So I think it's a good thing to have um, tough games against tough teams and see how we get on. And actually it does us some good to have have stuff like this so yeah good and you know to get through it and to win it's exciting so uh yeah I mean, I, the men's team have over the years made twickenham their home so it's good that the ladies in their first season have already uh yes. put the flag put the flag down and gone we own this place now as well friend of the pod georgia westwood with the opener described here as barreling over i i, I always find that like a, like not the most complimentary term to be barreling over um I don't know, like thundering over, I always think sound, sounds better. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. 
That's fair. fair. Well, well done, Georgia. Well done, um, all those. With that. That's a fantastic achievement. Well done, Vicky, um, and uh, everyone who's in the coaching squad as well, because that is just a remarkable achievement in your first season. And you can get down to support, can't you, Elliot? Yes. Um, entry is free, which is always good. And it's much better than that £100. You can get your money's worth. Well, I'd say considering um, the RFU charge anyone £100 to breathe anywhere near Twickenham normally, um, to get in for free is uh, is good stuff. And f- so the final is against Cheltenham Tigers. It was, I think, Bath was the um, supposedly the, the 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 final. It was looking likely it was going to be um, Cheltenham Tigers. Um, however, are our opponents who we've beaten twice already in the league, and we've beat. And actually, to be fair to Cheltenham Tigers, have had an awesome season themselves. Yeah. So they've only lost to us, and they they've won the league. Uh, year previously so that they are a serious club and a serious outfit um so it does mean double tigers um which is farcical because there is only one tigers in this world as we all know uh, and it's leicester's um and it's sunday the 30th of april kickoffs at three o'clock as i say at twickenham entry is free and um i'm just reading off the press uh release here and there is obviously catering units for people to go down for, for drinks and stuff and tigers are putting on, on a supporters coach um, departing at 11 o'clock from the ground, less, uh, from the Crumby car park at 11 o'clock on the 30th, and it's £20 per person. So if you did want to go, I think that's a pretty getting to London for 20 notes and back is a pretty good deal. You won't get that on the train, and your petrol cost will be, um, and parking is would be pretty similar, um, sort of thing. So yeah, for £20, it's a pretty good deal. So if you are free on the 30th, and you want to get down there, there are avenues to go and watch. Or if you are a London-based Tiger and you fancy some Sunday afternoon rugby, um, Twickenham is the place to be. So hopefully the, uh, we can have as many supporters packed out as we can. Uh, Clayton, you know, a bit like the Germans do with the towels, if we can lay down our seats ready for uh, for when the men come down, <laughs> that'd be pretty good as well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'll, be back. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Keep the seat warm, lads. We'll be back in a couple of, weeks, <laughs> couple of months. And uh, but yeah, it'd be good fun. So if we, hopefully, Vicky and the girls can enjoy Twickenham. I mean, it's a fantastic occasion. If nothing else, to play at Twickenham, this could be a you know, it's a, a superb achievement in the first season. And if we can get as many Tigers fans down there as, as well, that would be amazing. Um, yes, yeah, so good luck to to everyone involved. And it's a, it's it's really exciting. As I say, in the first year, we are smashing it out the park, and um, it's just another step forward in the journey. Ah, oh, yeah, joining the journey. You really are sort of moving step by step closer to being their press guy. You're after Bondi's job. They can't afford me. <laughs> I didn't didn't think they could. Um, let's talk about, because it was double trouble at Welford Road, of course. Sunday, we played Exeter Chiefs. Monday was one of the friendly fixtures that they've put on to make up for the two lost home games uh, against Northampton Saints. Obviously, rotated sides for both, but a lot of talent in both sides as well. Um, you, It was convincing win for Tigers. Um but by all means, a good occasion. You went there, Elliot, and you said it reminded you in a really good sense of the good old A-League days. What was it like? And can, uh, Because I haven't seen the game, there hasn't been a highlights package put up at the time of recording. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the game, I suppose, the, the evening itself, and also, I suppose, who impressed you? Yeah, definitely. I think it was a fantastic hit-out for both teams, actually. I thought both sides um, earned a lot from it. You know, Saints picked out a pretty good team themselves, actually, so it's a pretty... Um, a pretty good contest for everyone involved, uh, really, to be stuck in and to get involved in it. Um, yeah, it was a really good um, opportunity for for boys to get involved uh, and get some game time. And there were a few things I thought 
we learned from it, um, actually. The first was um, Tigers have got probably another 10 or 12 promising youngsters in that sort of under-21s bracket who are very much filled with potential. You know, if there's, if there's about 10 or 12 who've got a realistic shot of making it, I think six are likely to make it, which I think is really exciting. I think there's a couple, actually, who are almost ready to go, first team level. I think Lewis Chesham, I think, is ready to go. Yeah, I think you name-checked him before. I think he's at the point now where he'd be better off just being thrown in at first team level and see how he gets on. And Emeka Rilioni, exactly the same thing. I think he's at the, 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 the rate now where it'd probably do him some good just to get him playing. You know, you just chuck him in, see how he goes and just let him loose. Um, and with Sean Janssen going, I think there is an opportunity for that, for all that to happen. But across the board, actually, there, there is a real good set of promising youngsters coming through. And that shone through last night in terms of how they played. And there is obviously some physicality stuff they need to work on. But in terms of the actual rugby brain and rugby skills, which is stuff you can't really teach, They've got talent there by by the bucket load. So that's that's that was really impressive. Secondly, it's actually last night showed how well drilled Tigers are at all levels of the club. And that was probably the main difference between Saints and Tigers last night was just how well coached and how well drilled our boys were, both in terms of attack and defence. All the systems that we'd see at first team level, they were there uh, in display last night. And both forwards and backs, so like in terms of the backs moves, some really good rugby being um, being played across the board, there was a very good willingness. I know it's, it's easier to do it in a friendly last night, but there was very much an attitude, let's try and play some rugby. And boy, they did actually play some really good rugby. I thought it was a really good um, stuff on show. And in the forwards, you know, they worked through the line-out drills really well. As, and there was a couple didn't go their way, but actually, again, they got um, some line-out moves going. They got a rolling mall um, opportunities as well. So it just shows you all, how well drilled. You talk about how well coached Leicester are. And you see it on a Saturday when you see the first team. But when you see, you know, the guys who don't get games and they come in and they're so well drilled and they can and they're hitting the stuff, you see a bad you can see a badly coached team. And you know when you you know when you've seen a badly coached team. Tigers aren't at that. They, they are very well drilled. And that was a really good one. Um the other thing that I thought was was really positive was actually it showed you how high the standard the first team rugby actually is, because some of the fringe first teamers had some really good games last night. And it's not as if they're bad players. So Phil Fockenessy, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of highlight a little bit. He hasn't really played much this year and he hasn't really been seen. And you, there is an, almost a feeling you can almost get sometimes go, oh, he's clearly not up to it or he's not a good player. Last night showed that there is something there. Do you know what I mean, he showed last night that he's a really good player, really exciting. And it just shows you actually just the standard of the first team. Sean Janssen's another one where, you know, you can understand why Sean's mm-hmm. actually making a move because... He's just unlucky, I think, that in terms of his in his position, he's got Visa and Cracknell up against him, who are you know better and more rounded players. Now that's not a slight on Janssen, because again last night he had a really good game and um, he played really really well. You know, Francois Van Veek again showed he was he was a good player as well. So it's not as if these players are bad players. It's just the standard at first team level at Leicester is very very good and very very high. And it just shows you how hard it is to get picked on a Saturday. And that's old school Leicester. You know, you think back to the, the days of Dino being head coach and Pat Howard and, you know, Cockers. That's how it was. That's how we made ourselves so good, where you got, you, you went to the A-League games on a Monday night and you think, oh my God, he's so good. And then, you, you know, 
how isn't he getting a game? And then you, just, you think actually that's probably probably shows you how good the first team is that they, yeah. a player with that standard isn't getting games. So just, just on Jansen as well, you've, you've got to remember he's only been pro for two years or one and a half years because he obviously joined halfway through last season. And he, you know he's going to Connacht, and yes, he is behind Cracknell and um, and Jasper, but. You know, that's with one and a half years behind him. Like you say, if give him a bit more game time and a bit more time in the as being a pro, it'd be interesting to see where his potential is. Um, I think it's a really good move for him. I really think it's a fantastic move, move for the yeah. reasons you've given because Johnny's a good player. You know, last night again, he just showed you what a good player he is. It's just he's just unfortunate in his circumstances of 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 who he's got challenging for the spot. And then the last thing, really, for me in terms of the um, sort of lessons I learned from last night was. There is a marketplace for the A League, and actually, there needs mm. to be a, a more of an effort because Falcon Seagull, if I come back to him, I don't think he's played since November. You know, how do you make a judgment call on whether he's good enough to play if he's not playing? And I know, um, obviously, they they have loan agreements and stuff like that, and they do try. The club is very good at trying to get game time into into the legs of these boys, but at the junior level for these players, there just isn't enough rugby for them, and. They do need to get some more rugby in it. And I did use some last night was a throwback to the A League, and all of us remembered the A League. And I think all of us have watched an A League game on a Monday night and enjoyed what it was. And there's so many benefits to the A League, in my opinion, because it actually, and it's not just the on field stuff for the players in terms of giving game time to, to players, but also for growing the club and growing exposure to, to the game. You know, it's another touch point for fans to engage in the club. You know, it's another, you know, it's another way for, you know, for, Junior clubs in and around Leicester and Leicestershire to come along and watch um, first team players and up and coming players at Tigers level, and it used to be really cheap. You know, again, if you've got uh, Leicester, do a great thing in terms of the ticket prices. I think compared to most of the teams on in the league, Leicester's ticket prices are very, very fair and very reasonable. But even so, there's still going to be people out there with, you know, there's going to be families of four out there who will still look at ticket targets, ticket prices, and go, we just can't afford it. And it's, you know, things are tough for people out there. You know, you just think actually if they could do something with a deal of, you know, £10 and adults and kids for a quid sort of thing and season ticket holders getting free, you know, for a family of four, they'd get change out of 20 quid. You know, there's £22, for example, to watch some decent level rugby. And it's another opportunity for, you know, for 14, 15 year olds to get involved mm-hmm. in the club. It's how I got into supporting Tigers. We go along on a Monday night, you'd watch it and it's great. And you watch them, you know, it's a bit of edge and a bit of niggle and, it was a, it's always a, it's always you know, a good these, these guys are the ones who are like proper hungry to prove themselves, you know, like e- even more so than at first team level. Yeah. These guys want to show the coaches, want to show the opposition, everyone who's watching that they are first team material. And to do that, you need a bit of niggle. And I quite like it. I'm just going to pick you up on a couple of points because you're right to talk about Thorkin and Singer. I think there were question marks obviously about him. So please see he had a good game. The other one that you mentioned to me had a good game who um, I know that we've been doubtful of was Joe Browning on the wing. And I was particularly interested in what you say, that you said he looked really quick. Because before, I didn't think he looked that quick. And I thought, oh, I just wonder if he lacks that top-end pace um, to be a you know a premiership winger. Uh, but you said he, he looked a real handful um, last night. Yeah, I came away from last night looking at um, Browning, thinking if they can just put a little bit more meat on him, there's a player there. Because I thought he read the game pretty well. I think there's been a few question marks about him defensively. There was no concerns from what I saw last night. I thought he made his tackles pretty well. I thought he read the game was positionally pretty good. Um, yeah, I thought his pace, I thought his top end pace was actually very, very good. And Brilliant. if they can, 
you can see him is at 21, 22. He's young enough to still have maybe another year with Leicester before they have to really make a decision on him. And it's a tough one because for some of these boys, a lot of them are going to try and work out where their level is. And he, it might be that Browning can forge himself a really good career at championship, lower premiership level. And it's no disgrace in that. He's a very, you know, it's a fine rugby player and that's a fine way to make a career. And it might be that's how he, he goes. But there is a player there. There is a player there in Browning. He probably just needs a little bit more muscle on him. But if they can do something there, his pace is 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 very, very good. And there's a few players we can sort of name check in terms of they are a couple of years away in terms of like their physicality and their size. They're not quite at first team level. And you, you can sort of see it when you, you put them up against the first team player who was on the pitch. There is that slight difference of sort of your sort of man strength, I guess, natural man strength you get when yeah, you're in your sort yeah. of mid-20s. And these boys Wait are 19, Wait till you get to your mid-30s, mate. The size just keeps coming. It's great. Yeah, but in, it's, it's a bit more softer and... Uh, and <laughs> yeah. It's a bit more softer and a bit more rounded, unfortunately. Well, it's not only from my experience, but um, Joe Woodward is a fantastic player. You know, Joe Woodward last night, I thought... I thought the midfield, actually, of Atkinson, um, Woodward at 12 and Fock and Seeger at 13, I thought it was a lovely midfield. I thought that had, that had a real nice balance to it and played really, really well. Atkinson is a class above and he, he, yeah, he, showed, he, he showed he's... A, there's just a couple of players. mention him because you you told me last night he he looked he looked like Bessie the King on the pitch. There's a couple of players in that environment who show that they are natural first team players coming down and they're two or three steps above. Atkinson was one of them, um, where he was just seeing stuff that a couple of others weren't up to speed with. But the, Joe Woodward, I think, reads the game really well. Defensively, he's pretty sound. Lovely grubber kick for for um, Falcon Seagers try. A fantastic interplay. Happy to go first receiver to let Atkinson loop round exactly like the first team do with Pollard um, and Kelly. So that was really good. He's probably a couple of years off being first team ready. Um, Rob Carmichael at six foot ten. So I think we had the tallest second row partnership of Lewis Chesson at six foot nine and Carmichael at six foot ten. Um, I'd say Lewis Chesson for me is ready to go at first team level. He's 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 ready to be thrown in. Carmichael's about a year off, but at the size of six foot ten. If things put a bit of meat on him, he's going to do some damage. A um, couple of back rowers keep uh, just a foot to flash up um, for you. Finn Carnduff at six started. I was really impressed with him in England in the 20s. His reading of the game at the breakdown and his willingness to sort of, a bit like um, Tommy Raphael, knowing when to jackal and when not to. And he's he, he's very keen in a bit of a noise around the breakdown. He was very, very good last night. Again, he's probably a couple of years off, but there's something to work with there. I thought I was really impressed with him. Coriardi at 19 is a handful. Again, there's a bit of work physically to do, but again, handful and high energy around him. And Josh Mann's exactly, exactly the same. Similar sort of attitude, busy. Um, he's played a bit in the Prem Cup. I mean, he played every minute, actually, for our Prem Cup campaign this year. So that was really good. And Tim Hoyt at 19 looks an absolute beast already at tight Yeah, he's looked, he's looked a big unit for a long time. So I'm looking forward to seeing him go. Very finally, and perhaps actually most importantly, Nick Dolly's return to action as well. Um, yes. how did Nick get along and how was his hair? Oh, Nick Dolly's his barnet is exactly the same. Good. So uh, thankfully nothing's changed there. I thought it was a really tidy 55 minutes um, for him. I think he needed some minutes like that under the belt. So actually it's a, again, it's another advert for why we should have the A-League because if, if, if again, if Tigers aren't going to, if the RFU won't do it, I do think Tigers probably need to start looking at trying to do some deals with other clubs to try and do a, a you know, a double you know, a back-to-back fixture like we've done here where, you know, we play at home, the week later we go away or something like that and see if we can do a deal there so we can get some extra games in these boys. Because it was a great opportunity for Dolly and his 55 minutes on the pitch, I thought it was 
standard Nick Dolly stuff, really busy um, around the park, carried well, uh, made his tackles really well, good arrows, um, good energy from from good. him, um, and did his 55 minutes. So I'd imagine it was a planned 55 minutes. I suspect when they play away at Saints um, on the 29th, they'll probably try and get 60, 65 minutes out of him. Um, anyone, who, I, Unless there is an injury, I don't expect him to be in around the first team um, between now and the end of the season. I think there's, there's a couple of people who have mm. got hopes of that happening. I would be very, very surprised if if that happens. I know he he looked well last night, but there is a there is a difference in a Monday night friendly and getting minutes into your legs to to, to show your fitness to bound to be thrown into a, a semi final or a final environment. It wouldn't be fair on Nick Dolly, I don't think. So unless there is injuries, I wouldn't expect him back. I suspect they are looking at getting him fit and ready so that he can be available to Steve at the World Cup training camp. I think Steve will want to have a look at him and see where he's at. So I suspect they'll they'll give him a run out against um I guess as I say, um Saints in the return fixture. He might get a bench slot against Quinns for 20, 30 minutes to to sit just to get him through there. But I would be surprised if if in a semi-final or hopefully a final down the line he appears because it's a big injury he's come back mm. from. Mm. Agree. Um well, the, the very final thing I'm going to say about that, to, just very quickly, is I was pleased to see uh, Samaki and Marimurivali score. Uh, I think they're off at the end of the season, so maybe the last time you get to see them play at Welford Road. Those boys are a lot of fun. I was pleased to uh, see them get over the whitewash. Um, Player of the season, that award is up for people to vote on on the Leicester Tigers website. Um, obviously, supporters player of the season, hence why we can vote. Where is your vote leaning, mate? Yeah, we were... We were saying before press record, this is a pretty tough one to try and work out where to go. I'm leaning at the moment towards sort of a, a Martin or Montoya vote. Um, however, I do feel a little bit guilty because I've not mentioned Tommy Raphael. Um, but it's a tough one because some a lot of boys have played some good rugby all year. Um, some like Scotty actually is an underrated vote, but he's actually played well all season in the games he's played. So you could almost you can make a very strong case for someone like Scotty. Um, but yeah, I think I think Martin on Montoya is probably where the um, my head's at on this one. Yeah, it's a close one. Martin Montoya definitely up there, probably leaning towards gorgeous George. Uh, obviously, um, Montoya, the emperor, was away at the start with um, uh, with the rugby championship, wasn't he? Um, and then the autumn internationals, which you know isn't his fault. That's just the way it is. Um, yeah, Tommy. Tommy is a very, very difficult one to look past. For me, it's very close between gorgeous George and Tommy, I think. But then Jasper as well. Similar issue, I suppose, with Julian, but I think that um, you know, Jasper's just been utterly dominant. Basically, I don't know, but it's going to be probably, I'm going to say it'll be between gorgeous George and Tommy for me. I'm going to pick between one of those two. Yeah, it's just, again, it's a, it's, it's a tough decision, but you sign of a good good season when you're struggling to to find which one to go to because there's five or six good candidates yeah in years gone by there'd only be one or two you just go oh my god there's no one really we choose from give someone a vote tell you what actually and and claire if you're still listening um this is the reason i won't vote for montoja he's person on gratis in my house oh yeah go on you saw the bet i sent you Oh yeah, he's he's done, yeah. He's done thought... me done me proper dirty there. So if anyone saw the Twitter handle, um, I put on a, a little flutter at the weekend. I I texted you about ten minutes before the game. I said I've got a really good feeling about this. Think Ash is going to score too. Think we're going to absolutely do them. And I put on a bet builder, um, on a bet, betting company's app, which meant I put a fiver on, 
and it was Tigers to win by more than 50. Chris Ashton to score twice and Julian Montoya to score once. And uh, the Emperor let me down. I'll tell you what, there was that bit about 55 minutes in, went for a five-meter line out right in the corner. Ashy had already scored twice. I was already spending the 90 quid, mate, in my mind. Already spending it. Uh, you're at Miller and Carter. You're on the Miller and Carter website. Yeah. You've got your table. You've got, yeah. you've got the table booking Hold the table it. now, exactly. Yeah. You're on Miller and Carter. You're looking at the nice T-bone step. You're looking at the ribeye on the tomahawk. I was, I was, I was halfway through the wine list. And then, uh, yeah. and then for some reason, for the first time all game, our mall goes absolutely nowhere. We spread it wide. <laughs> um, uh, I, I was living. And then stupid George Martin scores instead. Um, so obviously I was delighted for him, but, um, yeah. So if you want to, if you want to ask him anything, Claire, ask him why he didn't score then, because he, he, he cost me 85 quid. Um, might be a weird thing to ask him, but just give me your conversation pieces. Anyway, final bit of news to talk about a little bit of, uh, excited mutterings for two reasons, uh, off the pitch on Sunday when we played Exeter, we had, um, incoming coach Dan McKellar was there in his exercise jacket. Don't need to talk too much about it. I think we talked about it before. We thought he was going to come over at some point before. See the boys in the flesh. It would be really good to have him there with, um, get you know, I suppose eavesdropping with Wiggy and also speaking to Alan, all the outgoing coaching staff and speaking to the players, just getting to know them and getting a feel for the club. Hopefully he would be excited from what sounded like a great atmosphere as well at Welford Road. So that's really good. And then he was sat on the left-hand side of Andrea Pynchon and on Andrea Pynchon's right-hand side, was Mr. Felipe Contoponi. Um, now that sent a few heads spinning. Uh, you're going to, for the first time, I think, on this podcast, you're going to quickly kibosh a rumour. You're going to squash it like a bug. You're going to pour, what's the opposite of hot sauce? Cold Mate, water. Cold water, yeah. I don't know. Or, or a con- I'm thinking condiment. You're going to pour salad cream all over this. Yeah, I'll piss on your chips. Um <laughs> Salad cream, cream isn't much better, to be honest. I'm thinking yeah. about the piss. Yeah, effectively. Do you, so obviously, the tongues were wagging, and obviously, it does a. It would be, it would be an exciting appointment. Contraponi is a very exciting backs coach. What ex Leinster, uh, and it was a, a terrific player in his own right uh, when he was a player. Uh, the official line uh, it did get brought up apparently in the media room um, afterwards uh, by. Obviously, there's lots of national media there on Sunday, and it did get picked up. And the official line, and Bondo was very, very quick to, again, quash this themselves. Were very happy to share um, messages um, as proof to the uh, the media in the room that Contemporary was only there purely on an official Argentina basis to watch and catch up with Montoya. I think they've had a couple of weeks. Uh, the Argentinian coaches are doing around around sort of um, England and wider Europe, catching up with players and people, and people just to make sure everything's okay. Um, and that's the official reason why Contraponi was there. And Bondi was very happy to share the messages, but as she uses proof that um, that was the case. And my opinion is, is that actually, if there was nothing in it, or if there was something in it, there's a lot of media that are in the room from national media. If they weren't happy with it, they'd have took it, they'd have let it, they'd have let it go on a little bit longer. But the, the fact that we've not heard anything else of it, to me, suggests they were happy with uh, the evidence that was suggested in the room. Yes. Yeah. Now I can't disagree with that. I, I don't know, mate. My spidey sense is tingling a little bit, and I know that you disagree with me on this. But so we we get. I, I think it's absolutely correct that the Argentina coaches are over watching Argentina players at the moment. 
So I don't doubt that is one reason. But I mean, we we often have international coaches coming and watching our players. Um, do they always sit next to the CEO? No, I know it was busy. I know that there were seats taken. There were other seats, and I don't know, just being sitting sat next to Andrea Pynchon and certain you know kind of gaps in the coaching stuff and everything like that. It might be that there were two conversations happening. Maybe it was even the starter who say, "Well, yes, we want to come and watch." Um, Julian play absolutely fine. Why don't you sit next to me and we can also have a chat about a couple of other things afterwards? I don't know. I did message Bonnie to see if we could have Andrea on this podcast, but he didn't get back to me, probably because he knew I'd go and ask something stupid like that. But uh, so probably very sensible of him in, in hindsight. So yeah, officially, uh, you're not even giving it a, a, a rating, which uh, on the hot sauce scale, which is fine, which is probably correct. Um, I'd like to be right. I'd like, as a person, I would like, I would like the official line to be wrong however when you've got um a lot of national media in the room and they are very happy to say that um one of them texted me to say there is literally nothing in it and they were happy with what the the, the, the evidence that was being produced i'm just not getting excited i've been hurt before <laughs> okay okay well, okay you you keep your hot sauce in your pocket i'm just gonna very quietly sprinkle sprinkle some peri peri salt on my chips uh keep it away from your piss um in my corner Go for it. Finally, all that rubbish is out of the way. We can talk about a 62, 62 points to 19 win over the Exeter Chiefs at home. Elliot, I mean, I don't really know where to start. I mean, for what was on paper a pretty... I suppose I say basic win, just your run of the mill thrashing. There was a hell of a lot to talk about on this one, and probably our best all round performance of the season. Some great rugby all round. Yeah, there's a lot to take um, from it. I thought it was a, a fantastic. I think to me, performance of the season. Um, I think we've been threatening to do a performance like that for a while. Feels like that we've been building up to a performance like that to really put a team away um, and put do it for over eighty minutes. Well, it was a genuine. 80-minute performance where from the first to the last that we were on them and I watched the game back on Sunday night because I'm a nerd and um, I thought there was no one thing that Leicester did. It was just a relentless pressure that just came on and it was at top standard, at top intensity and it was at top level stuff for 80 minutes. And it was quite hard actually because afterwards, normally when you have a, a good win, there's always... It's a team effort, but there's always six or seven people we highlight on the podcast and you go, they would probably shone a little bit brighter than others. I don't think anyone, there's, I don't think there is a man of a match really from 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 Sunday. No. I thought everyone that took the field contributed and had a perfect influence. James in Cronin. I think Rub- James Cronin. Rubbish. Yeah, I, poor James Cronin, who as a prop, Getting an injury, I think, in that sort of your, your rib area and having to scrummage is probably one of the mm. most painful things you could probably undergo. So, James Cronin, bless him, I think, had a good four minutes. I thought he had a good four minutes. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not sure he had to contribute much to it, but he was unlucky with it. But no, yeah, I thought, in all seriousness, I hope he uh, obviously is okay because he's such an important player for us, being fantastic this season. Um, so, uh, yeah, like I say, very unlucky, but Tom West uh, didn't have to put in a good shift. 76 minutes uh, in, on, in the loose head slot. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, that's, it, I think it's just testament to the to the, the group that we've got at first. It, 
at Leicester because they're so, so good. But yeah, I thought it was just a fantastic um, afternoon of rugby and all credit to every one of the boys because I thought it was brilliant. And I say it was a, it was an 80 minute performance that we've been threatening to do for a while. So it was nice to uh, to put one over. I've, I do have to admit, I have an irrational hatred of, of, of Exeter. I don't expect anyone else to agree <laughs> yeah. with me. I don't expect anyone else to, to sympathise with me or agree with me. But I do have an irrational hatred of them. So it was a nice one to, to put one on them. That is an odd, in one sense, it's an odd one, but it's one that's kind of grown on me a little bit, like a bit like Rob Baxter, for some reason, who I, I fell for the friendly uncle sort of approach. But now I, I kind of think he's a bit sanctimonious and pompous, um, you know, and he's more than happy to sort of complain about stuff when it's not going his way, but happy to reap the benefits of, of it when it is. So. I don't know. I say it's good to have these sort of like irrational hatreds, but I don't have any particular problem with Exeter. I think what impressed me most about the game, like you say, it was just all court, multifaceted excellence. It's not like we we say, "Oh, the set piece was mm. the game." You don't say that the defense was, you know, was the key element because yes, those things were fantastic, but it was across the board. I will say about our set piece, mullered them in the scrum, in the lineout. We the lineout didn't get enough look. We were all over their lineout. Um, for most of the game. Cam Henderson was sensational, I thought, in that scenario, as was Hanro actually going up a couple of times. Um, scrum, yeah, yeah, it's just fantastic when you've got Coley on one side, then Joe Hayes comes in literally just to turn the screw, uh, and, and he's so, so good at them. I think Joe is playing some fantastic rugby. Defence was outraged. I think we had a bit of a 20-minute sort of wobble, didn't we, in the first half? Maybe between like 15 and 25 minutes or so, where we... We made our own mistakes. We, we we were a bit lazy, a bit crap. And I think Wigglesworth referred to that, didn't he, in his post-match interview. He said, you know, we need a bit of a kick. Um, probably not as clinical as we could have been either. Felt like we were in control all game. Everything was in our hands. But the defence at times was just outrageous. There was a bit where Exeter were going through phases starting on our 22. And they went <laughs> all the way back to the halfway line before they decided to box kick it. Uh, and they were just getting shunted back. And Henderson and Martin, we keep talking about them. Fuck it out! Like the defenses that they put, the hits they're putting in. I did a tweet thread about it because the they don't get credited with turnovers, but actually the way they hit is so crucial. Both Montoya and Rafael both got a turnover off off either one of them putting in one of these shots, which is low. I say sort of in the guts or or thigh sort of area, but it's done with the aggression of like a chop tackle so they go down as quickly but with a chop tackle you're usually losing ground because they go over you with this they're dominant as well so it it's the most effective tackle you could possibly ask for if you're a jackler and it just makes it so much easier so they were absolutely fantastic and then in attack um yeah some it's not like we're cutting fantastic shapes out there but by and large the accuracy of the passing and the exploitation and the identification of space was was fantastic uh, after the forwards would have made inroads so that's what the backs are there to do the way we're set up at the moment not to create but to finish uh, and they did that absolutely um, superbly throughout the game so you know and bar one overly or two overly ambitious crossfield kicks from from Andre which I, I don't care about I love the fact that he, you know he's looking to do it um, you know I think the kicking game was on point as well so it felt like a complete display didn't it yeah, it, forwards to backs. I thought it was it was an all round game, um, and I thought it was a a real good demonstration of of what this Leicester team can do. Obviously, Dan McKellar's watching. He will have his own ideas. I'm sure he's got some fresh ideas and fresh thinking 
into how he wants to take the game or take this group forward. But I can't imagine he's going to look at that and, you know, he's not going to have it's not <laughs> really it revolution. Yeah, you know, he's not going to start again, is he? Because ultimately you can have some fresh ideas. And me and you are both of that sort of adding, it's not adding stuff to us rather than changing stuff. It's it's adding sort of like an offload game or adding a bit more um, attacking flair to it. Fundamentally, it's not going to change. You're, not, you're going to look at that 80 minutes. He's not going to sit there. Well, I, I would su- sincerely hope he's not going to sit there and go, yeah, that's great, but I'm going to do this. You know, the, all the principles that have, that he's got there to work with are fantastic because it was an all-round performance. And it's the to me, it's the if you look at what this Leicester team under Steve and now under Wiggy is built to do, and how it's designed to be a success, that Sunday minutes as an eighty minutes is the epitome of if everything goes well, that's what they want it to look like. Where it's hard at front, it's uncompromising in defence, it's physical. It squeezes you at the set piece, like you've alluded to. It creates the space to have talented backs to be able to exploit the space and to put fast, talented wingers and backs into into space to score some tries. And fundamentally, if you look at where we're going into this, obviously we are pretty much in the playoffs now. I know mathematically it's not... We don't have a queue next yeah, to us. We'll say, we'll say we're we, there. We don't have a queue next to us, but we are pretty much there. No team who will end up in the playoffs will want to play Leicester. Let, let, that's just a fact. When you look at how Leicester played for 80 minutes and Leicester have now demonstrated, that, that, that to me was the pleasing thing, is that last year we went into the playoffs knowing that over the season we had shown the best of ourselves. Because of this season being a little bit up and down, even in the, the five or six game winning run, we hadn't given the best of ourselves. There's still been a, a, it hadn't been a complete performance. There's always that question mark of what's it gonna, what, is, what is Leicester's best look like? I think we've shown our best and I think that's quite exciting because that is a real top standard to hit. And I still think there's probably a little bit extra to go uh, to come out of that group. And it's just great. I think it's fantastic in terms of everyone contributing. Um, And and I suppose we've got to look at, you know, the backs. You know, normally Tigers score nine tries. There's at least five of half come out of the forwards. No, one. A single solitary forwards try the rest were all done by the backs, and that's that's yeah, it's amazing. And really. and P try as well. We'll we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> used to be, I think, in the season that we were shit, uh, penalty try was our top try scorer, wasn't it? Because well, even to be fair, I'm the pretty only sure thing that worked for us was the scrum. <laughs> I'm pretty sure under um, under Dino, I think P try must have must have been second mm. with uh, with behind Backy. I think Backy was always complaining. <laughs> the yeah. P try was was his best competition. Uh, the, um, sorry, by the way, that I was chuckling when you were talking about Dan McKellar and you know how he wants to um, go for evolution over revolution. It always brings me back to the Alan Partridge joke where he's trying to agree with the BBC director and says, "Yes, yeah, so I agree because I evolve, but I don't revolve." So, and that's it. That's what Leicester Tigers wants to do right now. We don't want to revolve; we want to evolve. Um, so evolution, not revolution, please, Dan. Uh, let's look at the first half then. Um, we got off to a, an absolute flyer, I thought. And it, it, I mean, we need to talk about Chris Ashton, so we might as well get that out of the way now, to be honest. Um, because uh, there was a lot of buzz as it built up because he announced his retirement. Obviously, that was probably something we should have put in the news section. But I think we kind of all thought that he was going to retire after this year. And we hadn't seen him for a while. And you know, it came out as well that he'd been injured. And now he's back fit and he said his body, you know, isn't doing what he wants it to. 
fucking hell, I don't know what he's wanting it to do because I didn't think it could do much else, to be honest, on Sunday because I thought he was absolutely sensational. And if you wanted everything good about a Chris Ashton performance, classic Chris Ashton, it was pretty much there. And I'm not just talking about dotting down for a hat trick, which is, you know, whoopity do, that's fantastic. But the, I thought his his reading of the game again for the first try, it was unlucky the ball didn't bounce up to him, it went to Kelly. His his kick through for Van Portfleet's try was just sensational skill. He was then scoring, he scored two tries on the left, uh, sorry, two tries on the right, one on the left. Um, he could have had another one on the left because uh, uh, he was following Scotty round like a lost puppy, almost looking for the ball for a hat-trick. Scotty, cruel bastard, didn't give it to him. Uh, and actually, he might have had another one on the right had, had Stewart um, put in a, a decent enough pass to him as well. Unfortunately, it went by. Just yeah, one thing with Freddie, he had a couple of bad passes from his, off his left hand, actually, and um, he tried a little chip across to make a little bit of soft skills, perhaps, for Freddie uh, on the training park, but I'm sure he'll, he'll attend to that. Um, but a lot of hype was going into it thinking about you know the 100 tries coming up and I thought as Exeter's team got announced I think we have to acknowledge it wasn't a full strength side uh, due to necessity or rotation whatever you want to call it but I, I felt I messaged you before the game didn't I I said I've got a feeling he's going to score at least two today uh, and he did and and he was sensational he was good value for it wasn't he I thought Sunday showed that actually he's a is a good all-round rugby player. You know, just in terms of, like you say, reading of the game and the soft skills, because that kick through for Van Portfleet's try, it's not an easy thing to do because it was inch perfect. Jack didn't have to break stride. He didn't have to overreach it. He didn't, it wasn't at the back of the the in-goal area. It was perfectly weighted for Jack and it was great because he drew the defender. You know, Ashton suckered the, the defender in. So when the ball goes through, Jack's got a clear run to, to to get the ball and dot it down. And actually, if you look at the tries he scores, he makes try scoring look absurdly easy. But as others have shown, and you know, you've got to, there is an art to be in the right position at the right time. There is an art to be on the outside, you know, to make you know where you've got an easy run in. And he knows exactly where it is. And like you say, he could have had a couple more tries, you know, if Hoggy and Woodburn will get onto the red card as well. But if that tackling hadn't been so good, he'd have scored into the corner there. You know, if if the pass had been better from Stewart, he'd probably got a run in there. If you know the ball comes inside to him, not outside to Scotty, it's a, it's a it's a try there. So he's just an all round terrific rugby player. And I what I like about Ashley is his um, as I say, his all round work and his defensively he's, he's he's got better. I know when when he came to us, one of the few things that was said about him is he's not there in the kick chase and he's not um, defensively sound. In the, the 12 months that we've had him, there is no issues at all with him. Uh, 13 tries and 26 Tigers appearances is, is absurd. Absolutely mm-hmm. absurd. And there is, a, we, me and you were messaging on Sunday night about, you know, semi-final, we're pretty much there. Hopefully we, we can get a final thereafter. I think 20 of, a, of 23 for a big game is pretty much in the bag. And you can maybe swap a couple around in terms of where they start or if they come off the bench. Like Lenny and JVP, I'm not going to argue if, yeah, if you Col- want. Coley and Hayes, yeah. Westy and Cronin, I'm not going to argue with people if they want to make a judgment call on those, whether they start or not. But there are a couple of positions that are up for grabs. And one of them, I think, is the, the one of the wingers slots because I think Freddie Stewart gets one of them in the back three. Me and you both have Watson on one wing. Uh, yeah, why of... wouldn't you? Because Flash Tony was outrageous. Uh, absolutely 
Absolutely. I mean, do you, that one run in the second half just very quickly where he sort of, back, well, he actually did a couple of them, where he sort of like bounced yeah. left, bounced right, left everyone sort of like shitting their pants, not knowing where he was. And then the acceleration is frightening. I'm gutted that we won't be having him next season because he's looks like he's getting better and better. He is absurdly good when he gets going, isn't it? And then obviously in the centres, we're pretty comfortable, I think, with with a Kelly and Scotty um, partnership. The, the other, the last wing slot is where it gets interesting because I feel very bad about this because Harry Potter has been fantastic all year. I love Harry Potter, but I would probably lean for, towards Ashy, and I wouldn't have Potter on the bench. I would have Porter on the bench for his versatility. Yeah, um, I think when you're in a semi final and a final, you need a bit of magic, and I think you need the ability of of someone to score. <laughs> Can't you said we need a bit of magic. Get rid of Harry Potter. Yeah, I know. you're the antidote to the uh, all the puns really there yeah yeah let's get rid of the let's get rid of the actual magic uh harry potter um i think you need the ability to score tries and having someone like watson who can create something out of nothing and having ashley who is a bona fide try scorer i think gets it for me i think having him in i would have him in the in the in the team do you know what i i it's not just the tries his overall performance for me was one he looked super sharp really really hungry you know, I'm sure he is not. I know he had that personal target, but I hope that he, he will remain hungry enough to keep pushing and keep pushing for the end of the season. You know, now he's retiring, he can empty himself into the last few games because I thought he looked absolutely sensational. Um, and, you know, there's very little to choose between them. Wouldn't be upset if Harry Potter started, but I think on, say on form on that performance, it was a flawless winger's performance. Uh, and it, it's absolutely fantastic what he does. And what I like, and I think it's, Yes, the players were looking to get him the ball so as much as possible so he could score. But there's no reason why you can't have that mindset a lot of the time because it actually encouraged us to attack the space. Jasper, for example, for the try that that wasn't given uh, in the end, he makes that ridiculous bust. The first of uh, you know, I think the third of about um, four or five that he did. Poor Joe Simmons. Joe Simmons' mm-hmm. left shoulder, R.I.P. <laughs> it was basically... Namani did him last year. Namani beat up his left shoulder or right shoulder last year. Namani then does the other one this year and says, right, Namani got you last I mean, time. I'm going to get you now. I've got to I've got to be honest. A, Joe Simmons, I thought, had a stinker in defence. He was absolutely ruined, firstly by Jasper and then by the step by Pollard for the first try. Uh, but he wasn't given any favours by uh, Christ Schenzer, who was obviously Welsh compatriot of Tommy Rafael, he was so slow off the base of the scrum. And Jasper, we talk about his acceleration, just got round him. And, he, you know, as a flanker, Shinzo can't just leave it Simmons exposed like that. And I thought that was really, you know, I know he's a young guy, inexperience um, or lack of concentration. I don't know what it was, but he left him really exposed. I did feel a bit sorry for Simmons really there. But anyway, but my point is Jasper, we've seen him go through before and get the, white line fever and just go right right who's next who am i running over next but this one he's he's looking out and the same with pollard when he went through he's like right where's ashton and you know because ashton's there and he's he's waving he's like like screaming for it and i think what i like about that is that it says where's my finisher i want to get the ball to my finisher asap and you know there's no reason why we can't have that mentality whether it is for flash tony whether it's for um uh, or whether it is for ashton because they're our best finishers um, yeah, I thought it was um, it was really, really interesting just to see how much we attacked that width. Obviously, it was easier to do when Woodburn was off, but I thought that was that was super impressive. 
Well, you'd have it in football. You know, how many times in the football team is you've got an absolute dynamite striker up top? And throughout all the years in football, if you've got a dynamite number nine up front, you build your team around your star striker. You know, Leicester City did it with Jamie Vardy for well, years. This is, this is it. Because I just wanted to jump on this. This is the point I just forgot to add at the end. I heard a few people saying, oh, you know, yeah, what a fantastic player. You know, very much the Gary Lineker of kind of uh, of rugby. You know, yeah, he just finishes this off the end. I was like, no, no, no. No, I think he's a Jamie Vardy. In almost every way. Think how many runs in behind does Vardy make for Leicester City in his prime? And he'd do sort of about 10 to 20 runs off the bat and, you know the ball wouldn't come to him but he'd keep going and eventually you know in the title winning season it would be drink water like just chucking one over the top for him to run onto and and and, and he scores and it's the same uh, I, I feel with the way Chris Ashton plays you know he makes that tracking line nine times out of ten he doesn't get the ball but the um you know the one time out of ten he he does get it and and also he, he winds up the opposition just like a certain uh Mr Vardy as well so I, I think it's a valid comparison I always find it funny in football when you have fans go, oh, about such and such a player, all they do is score goals. We shouldn't have him in the team. Brilliant. Scores goals. That's all he does. Can't <laughs> yeah. have him. Oh, yeah. right. Well, anyone could do, do that then. You, you, you put do- on your boots, mate. All he does is score goals. Oh, well, let's, what a reason to drop someone. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I know rugby's slightly different. There is a defensive responsibility as a winger. But I do think having an X-factor try-scorer, I think for the reasons you've given in football when you've got a star striker you do set the team up around him to get the best out of your star striker and get the scoring because if you score goals guess what your team's scoring goals and I do think there is like exactly like that I think there isn't a bad it isn't a bad tactic to have to have a team set up to try and get the best out of Chris Ashton and to try and get him the ball as many times as possible because he scores tries because guess what if Ashton scores tries Leicester score tries so mm-hmm. I would probably you know, I would lean towards having Ashley in the side now for the, for the big games to come for that reason. If it, it does encourage us to get the ball wide to Ashley, you know, so be it. I'm all for it. And yeah, star wingers, get them in. Absolutely. Um, Pollard, talk about him every game. Um, that break for the first try was just fantastic. And, and, and actually, one thing I realised, I think it was for Ashton's 100th try not in the game that would be insane but his second try of the game is 100th overall um i thought that he does a little swerve to get outside and create a two and one uh, i think it's the pass from jvp as well that's sort of like a not really nice quick snap on it i thought jvp had a great game by the way um mm. and i thought this was again just another step forward in, in what a class act he is um it's a it, Running out of superlatives now to the point where I, I'm not I'm not missing George Ford, which I never thought I'd say. I never thought Pollard would be so good. I could say I don't miss George Ford, and if somebody said, "Okay, you can have George Ford back, but you give up Pollard," I, I don't know if I'd do it to be honest, mate. And that's and that's me saying that I'm a huge George Ford <laughs> fan. I, I I can't believe I'm I've said it. I know exactly where maybe you're I've at. Got I'm short, exactly maybe, maybe I've got a short memory, but he, and George Ford is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. But I don't, you know, and I don't want to give up this new fantastic shiny toy. Perhaps that's it. But I think that he's he is a complete player. It's a real. T- it's I tweeted this in a response to someone because they were talking about a similar sort of thing, and I said, "What a great debate to have, Ford versus Pollard, and almost how lucky we are as fans. What a, how spoilt we have been in the last two years. But we've had George Ford in his pomp, and now we've got Pollard, and at his very best, Pollard is world class. It is a Absolutely brilliant thing 
and a brilliant treat as a fan to be able to go and watch George, spend your money to watch George Ford conduct the strings. And then you, this year we've got Pollard doing exactly the same thing. Pollard to me is an absolute joy to watch because he's got so, that first try, I didn't know what the best bit of, of that was. The break from Pollard, the vision of Pollard, the execution of the kick from the wrong foot yeah, from Pollard. Full tilt, left left peg, unbelievable. Yeah. So at least one of them would have scored it. You know, Kelly or Ashton would have scored it. Quite clearly, Kelly scored it, but actually wasn't a million miles off either. And then the conversion from the from the touchline. That is incredible. How many times do you see point, fly Ashley points on the table because they don't get the conversions from out wide? It was almost staggering. I forgot how... When I watched the game back, I didn't realise how that long-range penalty was so straight. It was a shock to the system, but he missed the penalty. Do you know what I mean? Like, Pollard yeah. kicks his goals. And that, again, you're talking about big game rugby still to come. The, the, the ability of a fly half to kick three points and from weird and wonderful places on the field and to get the conversions from weird and wonderful places on the field. Every point matters in knockout rugby. And to have a 10 like Pollard who can do all the magic stuff, and that's brilliant. But actually, the, the real boring stuff in terms of kicking your goals and have a 90 plus, 90% plus kicking ratio is amazing. And, and as I say, that, that first try is peak Pollard. And I don't know what the best bit of the whole moment was because all of it from start to finish is glorious. And yeah, amazing player. Amazing player. I, I, I am mm. so glad we've got him. I, easy probably coming one of my favourite players to watch because of how clever he is. Yeah. Yeah, he's just oozes class, isn't he? He doesn't have to be electrically quick or have silly hair like Marcus Smith. He's just, as you say, he's just high quality, high class in everything he does. And, and even when he, in the rare occasion he does make up, uh, make a mistake, like the cross field in our own 22 going to Watson, um, just not really on the same page. And, and that is on Pollard, not uh, rather than Watson, that is, I would say. It, a really good comms by Austin Healy, actually, who I thought had a very good weekend on the analysis front. I thought it was absolutely spot on. Uh, but he says, you know, Watson, because he's not expecting it, isn't attacking it on the inside, and therefore he's waiting for it to come to him, and it allows Exeter to attack it. And they score a really well-taken try, um, set up by Simmons for... Who was it who scored it in the end? Hoggy. That's it, Stuart. Yeah, Stuart Hogg. Uh, Simmons, by the way, great great first try. Serious gas again, picking a, a gap between the two props. That was the only sort of defensive blemish I thought for us. But with Pollard's kick, I absolutely loved his reaction for it, which wasn't, oh God, what have I done? Firstly, I love the ambition that he was looking for it. Secondly, I love the fact that he smiled and he kind of shook his head afterwards. Good. Oh, I just got that slightly wrong. He didn't look ruffled by it at all. Um, and that's fantastic. And I hope, you know... It, I think his quality has earned him to ha- take those shots and to keep a defence honest and to look for those opportunities. Uh, and I hope he continues to do so. Big game player. Big game player. What I like about Pollard, just finish up on Pollard, is Exeter made a break in the first half and he ran back and absolutely smoked some guy. I, I can't remember. <laughs> it was absolutely think, smoked yeah. him in the rib. And it was Wyatt, it wasn't it, or something like that? Was it Wyatt? Or, or maybe, yeah. What I loved about it is that he absolutely gets back and smokes some guy in the ribs. And that, to me, is what I love about Pollard as much as anything. Is that I think it was something stupid, like, was, unless I've misheard it. I think he had like 10 or 11 um, tackles after half an hour or something stupid. The guy just loves tackling. The guy just is a phenomenal player. And what I like about him is he wants to do the hard, dirty work as well. We've seen it before against Saris. You know, runs the pump run our line and it's back to the wall and it's we sh- you shall not pass behaviour. And Pollard's in the mix. You know, it's not like, he's not a fancy yeah. Dan, you know, 
very easy when you get a marquee player who's on big money who can come in and be like, yeah, I'm just here to to do some good stuff. I'm not here to do your tackling. Someone else can do that. Mm. Mm. I'm a I'm a back. Do you, you big boys do all that sort of shit? Yeah, yeah. He's in the mix. He's in the mix of it. You know, loves he's it. there. Absolutely loves it. Every time we're on the, on our own line, he's there on a like next to the big boys, and he's wanting some action and he wants to smoke someone. I fucking love him. Yeah, it's spot on. I love the fact that Montoya is the emperor, and I think um, I think Pollard is the general. Yeah. General, General of the North, Commander of the Armies of the North. Good. Um, I, I'm looking just outside Pollard. Um, we had tries from our centres. We don't often get tries from our centres. I mean, uh, Guy Porter liked to weigh in with a few uh, special scores last season. He had a few highlight reel ones. But this season, you know, it's mainly been our wingers and our forwards that have scored. But Scotty gets in with two. Dan Kelly comes back in with one. That combination is looking really, really good to a point where I think Scotty's worth in defence is astonishing. Like every time Exeter tried to pull the ball back or run some decoy runners, we just weren't falling for it. Guys were drifting, guys were pressing at the right time, all in unison. And um, Scotty was running some great lines and Kelly in at first receiver as well. To a point now, I'm getting there where I can't even force in my beloved Guy Porter at the moment. I still think Guy props off as a better attacking threat, but you can't argue with the way those two are playing. Uh, how important is that combination? I think the midfield of Pollard, Kelly and Scotty is unreal, both in attack and in defence. I think the partnership of 10-12 of Pollard and Kelly is superb. I think that Kelly's distribution game, I think, has come on leaps and bounds to the point where he is a real all-round 12 now. I think his interchangeability and allowing Kelly to be first receiver. I've always said for Gopuff, I've really enjoyed it because he goes first receiver and it allows Pollard to be the pullback option of second receiver. Kelly's now looking exactly the same as what Gopuff is doing. looks at home in that in that role. Defensively, I think they're so organised as a, as, a, as a trio. And I think it offers, I think it's a really well-rounded midfield. And I think it allows, I think it offers balance. And I think it offers, like you say, enough threats going forward that it gets the best out of our wingers as well and I think I just to me it has a, if you look at that back line from from Saturday it had a real nice balance to it had a real nice flow to it and yeah that to me is probably the, the seven I would have in these big games because that centre partnership just looks just looks at home doesn't it just looks natural yeah, I mean, we've got to remember Kelly's only been back for two games. In the first game, he, he, got absolutely to- he, got, he got well, he got absolutely toasted against Leinster, but that's largely because he has, you know, thirteen. And again, not blaming Harry for this at all. Thirteen, he wasn't used to playing in that position, and he was, you know, very cruelly isolated and exposed. But with Scotty there, the talk that Kelly was putting in—I tell you what—the leg drive on some of his carries as well uh, was super impressive. I mean, I know he had a thigh injury. I don't know if you know he fix that by building another thigh because it, it looks like he's got sort of two thighs worth on his legs at the moment. He looks absolutely massive, but it hasn't aff- affected his mobility. I love the way he takes the ball up to the line as first receiver, as you say, and pulls the ball back late. So it commits the defender, but it also allows him to look at where the gaps are. Cause he hits Scotty on the short ball twice whilst Exeter were all looking at the ball going back to Polly. And uh, obviously, and, and on both times, Scotty uh, broke the line. The second time, he got over for the try. So he's obviously disguising it nicely, and he has the confidence to in the short. Yeah, well, he probably learned quite a lot of Fordy, didn't he? Um, you know, he was playing outside him uh, for uh, well for, for two seasons, 
So, I mean, it, it really, really shows. And, and I'm really happy to see him back fit. I hope he can stay fit. Um, we don't, I think if he has another injury, you start to go say, Oh, is he one of these guys? We're going to be just pining after him all the time. But I hope that, you know, he stays fit because he is such a talent and he has a real shot at going to the World Cup. I still think, I think obviously Steve Borthwick is a big fan as well. And Scotty, you know, out of nowhere, really, I thought, you know, kind of he's last season, you know, he was a bit on and off. This season, he just seems to have started well and gets better and better every time he plays. And during this run of six games, you know, he's been the unsung hero in my eyes. I love Scotty. I love Scotty. And I've, I've been banging the Scotty drum for probably since we've been doing this podcast. I think last year, Guy benefited from um, Scotty's injuries and Guy made the 13 shirt his own this year. And it was tough on Scotty, actually, because yeah. actually Scotty had a, you know, found it tough to get back in. Um, that was testament to how well Guy played. This year, Guy's been a bit more unfortunate with injuries mm. as Scotty's had a run in 13. And I think it showed what a terrific player Scotty is. I yeah. I love Scotty. I think he's just a, a real great Leicester signing in terms of... We talked about when we did Court Corner. Scotty, for me, is the, is the player that fits into that in terms of doesn't get the headlines. Is he a star player? No. Is he integral to how we play? Yes. In terms of, you know, in that first year under Steve, when we were rebuilding ourselves, Scotty did all the hard work in defence, you know, Loved getting himself involved, get, you know, defensively, he is so, so sound and built such strong foundations to our defensive efforts. And you look at Scotty and you, you forget actually going forward in attack. He's a terrific player himself. You know, we had Ian come on um, and talk about Edinburgh. And he said that actually at Edinburgh, Scotty was known for being an attacking centre and wasn't known for his defensive prowess. You know, it has flipped when he's been with us. But like, he's, like we've seen uh, with Scotty uh, with us, when we he has his moments where we can cut in a gorgeous line through the through the defence where if he can spot it he, he can cut it. I love Scotty. I, I think he's brilliant, man. Absolutely agree. Um last couple of bits to talk about. I think we have to talk about the Woodburn incident. Yeah. Um so just to remind everyone, Woodburn's already been to the bin for a yellow card for a deliberate knock on. Clear yellow card. There's no arguments about that. He sort of sticks out a single hand. The ball goes miles away. He's never catching it. I always think the term deliberate knock-on perhaps isn't the right term. It's almost like a reckless knock-on. Like you're, you're un- I'm sure he didn't go out and say, oh, I'm going to deliberately smack this away. But he never went to it thinking, I'm going to catch this because he was never going to get anywhere near it. So it was clear yellow first up. So I think a lot of this debate wouldn't be had with the venom it's been had if it was just a yellow card, if that makes sense, as opposed to a second yellow and therefore a red. Which is another point, actually. We followed football in two yellows equal a red. And and the question you've got to ask is why? Um, football yellow cards are given out for fouls. Not nine times out of ten, there might be a bit of dissent here and there, I suppose, like that. But you don't get technical yellows, do you, um, in football? You, you'll get... Basically, you've hit someone late, you've gone in too hard, too high, whatever it is like that. Basically, foul play. Um, here, you like Woodburn has been sent off for two technical offences. Um, that doesn't feel quite right. I don't mind it, actually. No. I Personally, just because you can have... I just like the, cl- the cleanliness of it. Two yellows is a red. Do you know what I mean? If, if you're going to be like... 
To, yeah, say, example, you can overcomplicate for, it then, can't you? If you say, oh, two yellows for foul play is um, a red, but then a yellow for foul play and one yellow for technical is, oh, what's that? You know, yeah, it, it does get too complicated. I'm doing that, but it doesn't It doesn't feel like the punishment fits the crime, I have to say. I get it, but then I've I've watched enough football matches where you see two soft yellows and you go, he hasn't, and he's got a red card. And it's like, we haven't really done anything bad, but it's two soft yellows. You know, it's a late tackle mm. here. It's not a bad tackle. It's just a bit, it was mistimed. And he's clipped him. All right, yellow card. And then he does it again. He's like, he's not, he's not took the guy out. He's not two-footed the guy, but he's still got a red card. And you go, it's crap, but it is what it is. And to me, I, I'm with this two yellows as being a red. I know it is. I know it's not the world's, they're not the world's worst infringements and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, I just like the cleanliness of, you know what, two yellows, off you go, see you later, pal. Okay, well, regardless, so he, obviously in the incident itself, um, yeah. Jasper's second big break where he's beaten up Joe Simmons and he's gone half the length of the pitch. Ball's come out to the right. Um, Scotty perhaps could have tried to take out Hogg. I think he passes a fraction too early. But anyway, the ball comes to Ashton. Hog gets him down at about the time that Ashton is down. Woodburn comes sliding in on the floor. Um, he doesn't take the ball. He takes Ashton in about the midriff and basically changes the angle. for Ashton is sliding towards the corner, going to score. Woodburn comes in and means that effectively Ashton gets slid out. And so it would have been his 100th try. It's disallowed. And Carl Dixon who's refing it, you know, I, I was quite surprised when he spotted it. And I thought, well, as soon as he spotted it, I thought, well, he's going to have to give a penalty try and a yellow card and therefore a red card here. So the issue for me is not, is whether or not it's a penalty because once he decides it's a penalty, the rest follows like dominoes. Yeah, It's a penalty. Agreed. It stops try. That That's not for debate. A, a try would have been scored had Woodburn not done what he'd done. So it's definitely a penalty try. You've identified him. It's a penalty try, yellow card under the law. It's a second yellow, it's a red. So everything flows. All the stuff about, oh, it shouldn't have been a yellow card or it shouldn't have been a penalty try, that's all irrelevant. That's all completely out of his hands. It's all whether or not what Woodburn did is illegal. And I think this is one of those horrible loopholes in the law where I think Carl Dixon explained it very well on the day where he said, oh, you've got a tackle player on the floor, you can't slide into him. But it's almost a bit like the Freddie Stewart uh, incident for me in that there should be, you know, when you're going through a checklist of what refs have, there should be a final question, which is, is this fucking mental? And a ref should be able to look at that and say, yeah, this is a bit fucking mental, because what, what else is Woodburn meant to do there? Uh, it's not dangerous. I've seen players do it um, a fair amount of times. and I, You know, by the letter of the law, Carl Dixon, I think, is right. And I tried to take the heat off him on Twitter and immediately got a pile on. But it's one of those things, I think, practically, there has to be a bit of a... if a player can get an advantage by sliding towards the line it, it, it should be fair game basically so my take on this is that if you take this incident aside i thought dixon had a good game i thought he refereed the game um really well um i thought, I thought, of- I thought he had a really good game and there was a bit in the first half where the terrace was getting annoyed with him i think they thought watson had got a turnover yeah, yeah. But on the TV, you could see he clearly had his hands on the floor before, and that was a really sharp spot. And I thought, you know, he's he's on a having a good one today. The other thing is that this is not a red card; it's a yellow. So a lot of people saying, "Oh, look, what about this red card?" It's not. It's just, it's only a red card because Woodburn had done a daft yellow already. So it's a yellow card offence. 
And the third instance is, like you said, by the letter of the law, um, Dixon is correct. Now, the problem I sometimes have when when a decision is made and it, the, the commentator or whoever says it was right under the letter of the law, it always feels a little bit pedantic, um, those sort of decisions. And to a certain extent, Sunday felt a little bit like that. But he is right. Under the letter of the law, Dixon was right. The issue I've got with all of this is the culture around referees and how referees are judged has led Dixon to make this call. And that's what worries me is that Dixon felt he had to make that call. And presumably he felt he had to make that call because of how he is assessed as a referee and the culture around referees in this country and in the game overall. Because uh, no one in the, so in the, in that incident, the first replay goes up. Is his foot in touch? Yes. And if he'd have stopped the replay then yeah. and said, line out, I wasn't calling for a penalty try. The players weren't calling for a penalty right. try. And I suspect you at home weren't calling for a penalty no, try. I, it was one that I, when I saw it, I had to say, I wonder, but I, was, I kind of thought, Opie doesn't because you, you don't need to. Just very quickly on the culture point that you said for referees, uh, I've heard on two different podcasts today that uh, Dixon was hauled over, Cole Dixon was hauled over hot coals over that um, try-saving tackle made by Tom Whiteley when he was playing for Bristol against... Harlequins earlier on in the year. It's been shared a few times. Eshausen makes a break in the, in the last minute, gets tap-tackled by McGinty, sliding towards the line, going to score. Whiteley comes in and um, takes the ball out of his hands, uh, d- diving in on the floor as well. And apparently Dick, uh, Dixon rewarded this as knock-on, scrum to Bristol, Bristol win the game. Harlequins, you know, now without potentially a season-defining uh, four points. And he was apparently hauled over hot coals for that by, you know, the reviewing committee. So that decision is already in his mind, which makes you think, I, I, I thought they were already kind of different because Esterhausen wasn't part of a completed tackle. He was still basically fair game um, and also widely targeted the ball, not the player, which would have been my argument to make, you know, saying that they're two different incidents. But if Dixon has already been slammed for that by his assessors and he wants to go to the World Cup, and he sees that, then you can understand why his brain goes there. And this is, the, I come back to, there's a couple of incidents over the course of this year. If I, there's a wider issue, I think, with referees and TMOs that I think we can bring in a little bit. So Leicester Gloucester at on Christmas Eve, there's a try disallowed because of a um, obstruction given against Dan Cole. Now, I felt that was a, a harsh call, but... I don't want to rerun the debate, but in that analysis that we did on the podcast, you said under the letter of law, that's a correct call. Now, against Gloucester Saracens um, at King's Home back in uh, January, George McGuigan had a try called out for an alleged double pump from the line-out. Again, under the letter of law, that's correct. In the same game, and then obviously you've got um, Sunday's incident, which under the letter of law is a correct call. The inference when this is always given is that when they when people go, mm, I'm not sure about that. The influence is always look, look how good our referees are. They've got it under the letter of the law. They're 100% accurate. They are getting this bang on. That's a dangerous game because you're effectively trying to say that we are getting it 100%. You're aiming for 100% accuracy. Now, in the same, just in those same, same games, right? In that Leicester Gloucester game, there was a massive headshot that was not seen on Lewis Ludlow on um, Ollie Cracknell. Mm. It wasn't seen, wasn't picked up at all. In that same Saracens-Gloucester game, Ollie, um, Owen Farrell completely um, obliterated someone's head in the tackle. Yeah. Again, wasn't picked up by the referee or TMO. 
subsequently cited. Absolutely. And when that's then um, criticised, when that is then criticised, the eventually, obviously, the defence is, well, the referees aren't, they're not machines. You can't get 100% accuracy. They are, they are going to miss stuff. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a sport which is trying to, which is get stuff on to the letter of the law and it gets a little bit pedantic. In terms of that double pump from um, McGuigan, it is a pedantic call. And it, yes, it is correct. Under the letter of the law, it is a correct call to rule that try out. But you can't have that 100% accuracy argument as a defence for referees and then in the same breath go, well, they're not machines. They're not going to get everything correct. You can't have it both ways. What are we aiming for? Are we aiming for 100% accuracy? And therefore, we hold referees to a massively higher bar. Or are we accepting that they are going to get stuff wrong? And then, you know, what do we want to do here? And this is where rugby, I think, gets itself a little bit caught up in ribbons in terms of the the, the big stuff, the important stuff, we're not getting right. We're not nailing that sort of stuff. And that, to me, is the frustration point. And this is where I get a little bit frustrated by this. And I still, I know it's not possible. I know it's not practical. And I know it will never, ever happen. But... Last night was an absolute joy to watch without any TMOs. The Premiership Cup without TMOs and replays was an absolute joy to watch as a spectator's experience. In the ground, the referee's decision is final. And Holly Davidson actually shouted out to her last night. She refereed the game. I thought she was fantastic. And she Not refereed the first the person who said that, actually. I've heard a couple of people say she was excellent. Refereed the game very, very well. But whoever the referee was, referee's decision is final. They conversed with the, the touch judges and they made the call there and then. Quick decision. And you've gone on with the game. Obviously, I know it's not practical, but it's such a better spectator experience than the current arrangement we've got with TMOs, where with pedantic one minute, we're missing stuff for next. And it's like, it's hard to get into the game when that stuff's going on. And there's got to be I'd take a... it back to clear and obvious. Because I think that for technical stuff, like you say, the Cole sort of like, has he held someone? Were they part of the ruck or not? You know, was that borderline? I think I felt... I could see where the ref was coming from. Then there was the other side of it, which was the, um, and he said the double pump again. You're like, you know, has that really had an effect on things? If they're not kind of clear and obvious and material, the ref, well, they would have been clear and obvious. The ref would have picked them up in the first place. You'd have hoped because they're professional refs. They're good refs. TMOs, as you say, I think it, it does take up too much when they go back for these pedantic points. Issues like clear headshots, issues like, you know, the act of scoring, you know, is there, you know, is their foot on the line and everything like that. A bit like it was when it first came in. I can, uh, you know, I can understand. But yeah, going back to the incident in question, I think probably you and I both sit down and like, look, the, it, it, it was a, it was one of those ones that, well, yes, technically was right. But in terms of how rugby is and how it feels, the feel of the game, I, I think it was wrong. It's one of those where it's a tough one. I probably would have hid behind the player in touch and just said Hoggy had got him into touch. Yeah, and I'd have I'd have ignored it because if if players are diving in and sliding in, then what are we asking other players to do? Just like watch them as they slide by their feet or slide between their legs. You know, it's kind of like it's it's bizarre. It's a tough one. I find I feel so. I'm forever involved, actually, and mm. I'm probably going to sit on the fence and not make a call on what I would do because I, it's boring. But I'm really not sure how I would have handled it. I think it's. I feel incredibly sorry for Ollie Woodburn because it's not the world's worst crime in the world, and I actually feel very, very sorry for Carl Dixon because actually yeah. he got he got under the letter of law he's got it bang on, and yeah. he was actually he was corrected to. There is precedent in the game 
of these things happening. You know, there's three or four instances where this has been seen mm. to happen, where referees have pulled up players for doing so, and you're not allowed to do it. And I have sympathy with him as well. So it's a really boring answer, but I'm just sat on the fence. So sorry, mm. everyone. No, I agree. Uh, I'd say kind of like uh, the only thing I would say is uh, I thought technically correct red card. I'd say in the spirit of the game, um, which I know is a bit woolly, it didn't feel correct. But then that's for lawmakers to provide some clarification about it, which of course they won't do because that would be a sensible thing to do. It's what not what our administrators do. That being said, yes, they were down to 14. But I mean, look, I've seen other teams down to 14. Uh, Montpellier were down to 14 against Exeter uh, and they didn't implode. I thought Exeter were really piss poor. I've got to be completely honest um, for the rest of that half. I think Baxter admitted it. Their chase, uh, kick chase was all over the shop uh, when um, Scotty scored his first. I, the, the spacing was just shocking. Their handling in the backs just went to pot um, and they had no parity in the set piece in the in the carrying game. They were just out-muscled all game. So I thought, you know, it, it was very much for me, we was pleasing to see that we smelt blood. We put our foot on their throat and we didn't take it off for, for the entire game. I had a, a nice little dessert on Sunday evening. I had extra to crumble. Uh, right, on that, should we go to the three-word reviews? Yeah, let's do it. Right, I'm going to go first this time, uh, and I'm going to read out Ian Morton's uh, three-word review because I forgot to play his voice note, which was about Contaponi being in the stand. So sorry about that, Ian. It wasn't deliberate, I promise you. Um, <laughs> Ian says, I was wrong. And he's put, got a picture of Chris Ashton with uh, uh, scoring his 100th Premiership try. Um, I don't think you were the only one, Ian, that was wrong. I think that we were pretty happy um, with Chris Ashton joining. I don't want to say I told you so. I think we thought it would end up being a good fit, but I could understand a lot of people being at best underwhelmed and be actively annoyed about us, uh, or worse, actively annoyed about Ashton joining us, given the history and you know how he's quite a divisive character. But look, 101 Premiership tries... Um, the most tries ever scored in the Premiership, the most tries ever scored in Europe, the most tries ever scored in a single French domestic season. Um, I, I'd go as far as to say he is a legend of the club game. I, you know, legend gets overused. I'm not saying he's up there with like Lomu and Johnson and people like that in terms of the international and world game, but legend of the club game for me, without a doubt. Um, what a phenomenal achievement uh, for a great bloke as well. Yeah, great bloke, great player, um, great servant of the game. It's the only thing I can actually moan about Sunday is that Lenny probably should have started. I know you shouldn't have sentimentality in this game, but it would have been nice for Lenny to have started just to have had a a, a moment with the crowd like Coley did for his 300th. It would have been nice. I know there's it, he probably team first because Lenny's that sort of bloke, but as a sentimental fan, I'm allowed to say it. But um, Did you, just back on Ashley though, did you rate uh, his hat-trick uh, celebration. Jumping in the, in the stand. Yeah. I actually rated his idea, which he dismissed, which he's, um, <laughs> which he said in the field, that do I run off the field and go into changing rooms and drive the car off, which I quite liked as a mic drop <laughs> moment. But like he said, I think Wiggy would have killed him. Well, Wiggy would have killed him because he'd already made the back sub by that point. Like if, if Potter was still waiting on the bench about to come on, I'd absolutely love it. I would he, rate it if possible. I, if that's how because he, goes he, he was he was saying apparently he'd actually mentioned to his wife could could she get the car parked and ready to go sort of just outside so he could basically score in that corner hop over the 
the uh, the sta- the stand and basically run up and out, just carry on running after scoring the try, just run out the ground. I think that would have been absolutely amazing. I'd but- love to see him driving up Aylston Road in his kit. <laughs> with his Land Rover or his Ranger or whatever he's got. Yeah, yeah. Just go, see you later. Yeah, <laughs> off, exactly. off back down to North London. Yeah, grin the the width of the Cheshire Cat on there as well, I think. That, but yeah. The only way to get out onto the Aylston, to be fair, it's probably the best time to go onto the Aylston Road after the game. Yeah. Could, uh, it's absolute carnage on Aylston Road um, for like <laughs> See, an hour. Beat the, beat the traffic moment that you could do. Just leave 25 minutes early in the middle of the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, well done, Ashley. Uh, phenomenal achievement, mate. And great work for Lenny as well for his 300. Superb. Well, I've, um, I've, got, I've got a separate one about that. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 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 Uh, my first one is from Jenny Gooding, um, who tweets as Jenny from the block. Um, absolutely massive thumping. Yeah, completely agree with that. We've, like we said on this um, review, 80-minute performance, and it's nice to, to put a team to a sword. Um, just to, it just shows you all the effort came together and, um, yeah, sends us away very, very happy as fans. Eddie Crow gets in touch to say 300th for Lenny. Uh, and like I say, yeah, he perhaps didn't get the attention or spotlight he deserves. I'm not sure he'd be that bothered about it anyway, but deserves recognition. 37th player to uh, reach 300 appearances for Leicester Tigers. Add that on to his 120-odd England caps that he's got. Um, legend of the club. Uh, a fantastic bloke. Fantastic family, obviously. Um, and I thought again, yeah, I thought he looked, I thought he looks really sharp when he came off the uh, the bench. The first touch he did, and he had a great big grin on his face. Was box kick, and I goes, oh, box kick, Ben, and he goes straight down the middle, finds grass one twenty two to the other, splits the uh, pendulum fullbacks that Exeter were employing, and then Stuart Hogg fumbles it forward, and we get a scrum in there twenty two, and Lenny's smirk as he was jogging back up was fantastic but i mean just just fantastic rugby now again terrific isn't he he just knows what he's doing he looks yeah. in great shape as well lenny looks really good nick looks in really good nick and i loved the um just last but on there i i loved the um before i love these videos that tigers do about match day cams and stuff like that mm. i loved in the dressing room afterwards uh where lenny said about we can do something special here boys and what i loved about it is when coley was going through the list of achievements that lenny did let coley did say He's won the league five times. And someone whistled in terms of, wow. Mm. Like, wow, that's a big... Like, it's almost like the gravity of what it is. Yeah. And that, that was a great vi- that was a great video, actually. A quick shout-out. Again, Tigers comms, whoever's like, upped it this season. It's been fantastic. Love these little sort of peaks behind the curtain. But with, with firstly, I, I couldn't stop laughing because Coley steps up to make a speech, promptly realises he has nothing that he needs to make said speech. So it just starts wandering around the, the changing room looking for the, the, the gift that he's going to give him. Uh, and then Apparently uh, also Coley did a speech that was so blue it cannot be repeated. Apparently it was a very, very funny speech, but very, very blue. Because Lenny really? said, yeah, Lenny did an interview and said, uh, I'd love to tell you the um, contents of what Coley said, but it is completely blue. And it's not, <laughs> it's not for repetition. Um, but also, speaking of blue, but perhaps like in a more emotional sense, Chris Ashton's speech, actually, when uh, it, he gave a speech with the 100 tries, and it, he he was emotional. I'd never seen him really that emotional. And he said, you know, I was out, I was down, and, and you guys took me in, and yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, it, it, lovely to see how tight the boys are there. Um, and each time, you know, I love the fact that they started to chant Freddie Stewart JVP seems to be the ringleaders of chance. Uh, for starts a chance of one more year, 
um for for Ashton, which is which would be interesting. I think it will go out on his terms though, which is which is fair enough. But the other thing, I, all these things always lead to curious little gizmos. But all the players, for some reason, uh, have been doing little saxophone emojis on all their posts um, with Lenny Bay. Lenny Bay, yeah. Yeah, I wonder what the story is behind that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by um by that one. There's Probably very... can't bear repeating out in public. Yeah, there's place. a there's a theme I'm sure to all of those um those posts. Maybe it's maybe I... it's linked to Dan Cole's blue speech. Yeah, I, maybe maybe it was. Um, it was great with with Lenny. I I I did like how he just said, "We've got a chance to do something special here, boys," and I loved that in just terms of the hunger for wanting more, and just the. This experience and leadership that Lenny brings, he's not a captain, but just, just to say that, look, we've got a shot at something amazing here. And to, it's that keeping that focus of this is a big thing. Like the guy's won everything in rugby. He's not I've, Actually, I don't think he's won a European championship, actually, but that's by the by. He, he's a guy that's won five, the league five times, but he still wants the excitement of, one, of, of another one, of a sixth one. And that hunger and drive for glory is amazing. I loved I just, I, It was just a simple one-liner of, we can do something special here, boys. Well, I love that. I think that's brilliant. Um, I know that we've prattled on on this section a little bit more and gone off on tangents, but I think that is a really good point to take me on to another thing, which was Wiggy in his interview as well. I think, again, we just saw a peek at perhaps some of the drivers behind what what's really pushing the boys at the moment. I think there's a bit of anger there because yeah. when he comes out and he says, you know, you lot in the media, you've disrespected us all season. You wrote us off before the season started. You started slagging us off when we lost tight games. Then we lose our coaches. We say we're not up to much. We take two bad defeats. You write us off. We win a couple of games. You say nothing. We lose to Leinster. It's the end of the world. You ignore six on the spin. Uh, you know, I think he is still really uh, whipping that, you know, backs against the wall mentality. And the boys are absolutely loving it. Um, so keep doing it. Keep doing it. We like having a chip. It, having a chip on your shoulder is a good thing if you channel it properly. Yeah. If, it, was, it was the anti-London stuff last year, I remember, for us, wasn't it? I've, I've still got plenty of anti-London stuff, if, especially if we play those Cockneys in the final. Um, no, I, I I think we are a club and a player for... I know Charlie Morgan wrote about this this week as well, about the spikiness. We are a club that, that plays better with a chip on our shoulder when we're punching against something. And I think we are channelling a bit of annoyance into the media about how we've been treated and how we've been written about by in some quarters. Um, so I quite like that we are uh, we are punching against something. Um, last three-word review for me, apologies for prattling on. Uh, Jack Prime put um, peak... Actually, where am I going with this one? Um, Tiger's peaking nicely. Um, absolutely, yeah. Of all the times to start to, delivering out some uh, some thumpings, in the running is, is probably the place to be. So we are timing it very, very nicely. We are six in a row in the league. Uh, we are coming in hot. Um, we've got another home game left. If we can do that, it would mean we'd finish the league campaign seven from seven. That is as good as you can get, I think, in terms of going into the playoffs. Um, yeah, we are in a really good position. And, and I like the boys, as I say, I like the, the fact the boys are playing well. They've got a chip on the shoulder and they've, they can see what they can see a glory. And they've got that hunger and drive. They want. They want it. And that excites me because I think it's that fire in the belly sort of thing. I I love that. I love it. Very nice.
Right. Well, for one of the last times, we we might go and do a subspence, actually, given how much quality has been left out of this side. We're going to visit the ultimate pro era 15, uh, where we did a bit of a flash vote because we thought Elon was going to shut down the uh, the voting capacity or the poll capacity on Twitter. He, he hasn't done so yet. Uh, so again, he could be all, all mouth, no trousers. We'll, we'll, we'll find out later. Um, but uh, we did the back three all in one go, didn't we, mate? Yes, we did. Um, so left wing was Leon Lloyd versus Alain. Alessandro Tuolagi. Right wing was Austin Healy versus Chalusa Viardney. And fullback was Tim Stimson versus Jordan Murphy. Um, this obviously is a, a, a plethora of quality players. I mean, yeah. six unbelievable talents, mm. uh, which shows you how, again, we are supposedly a boring forwards team. Not when you look at those six names. I mean, <laughs> boy, can that, those get people off their feet. Um, Leon Lloyd versus Alex Tuolagi. Um, I leant towards Alessana on that one. I think you did too. Yes, yes, I did. Um, and that pair, that bear out with um, Alessana winning it with eighty four percent over Leon Lloyd sixteen. I don't think that's a reflect. I think that's a um, heavier victory. It's, than a, clo- it's a close one. It is a close one in terms of. I think a lot of people probably just leant towards Alessana. Lloyd, I think we should mention how Lloyd is an absolute legend of the club yes. and scored some terrific tries. Yes. And it's not a slight um, on him. Right wing is a fascinating one. We thought it would be close. I didn't think it would be as close as it was. This was nip and tuck. And it, it for the first couple of days, it, the lead did sort of change hands a couple of times. You'd look at it and Healy was winning. The day later, Vianu was winning. And then it sort of settled into... Um, uh, a consistent winner, and it, that's how it stayed. So we're 52% over 48%. Uh, <laughs> Austin Healy is the winner. And that is a decisive number, 52 to 48. I'm saying nothing because it, you, you can... <laughs> you can you wind can up the wrong people with that. <laughs> yeah, it goes into a slippery slope towards politics, which I veer, I vow never to talk about. Um, but from 439 votes, 52% over 48, that shows you how close that vote is. That, that is a very tight margin of error. But... I want. I think I leant towards Austin on this one because I wanted Austin inside. Um, so I'm pretty glad that. Yes, I, look, he, I mean, even if he's not at nine or ten, where arguably some of his biggest moments came from, the the guy won us two European Cups. He's a, he's a club legend, and uh, as as fantastic a player as Toulouse is, um, you can't leave out us. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. And at fullback, um, a similar sort of thing with Lloydy, where Stimo was up against Geordie. Geordie was the runaway winner with 82%. Now, Stimo is a fantastic player and a terrific, and actually probably in his own right, won us a European Cup or two with his kicks. Actually, the, the, the mm. semi-final kick against Lenefli where he deliberately aimed it at, at the, the two posts and the crossbar and yeah. deliberately aimed to get it over, I thought was a fantastic bit of skill. Yeah. And the, crossbar and, challenge from uh, from halfway. Yeah, I think he told Jono, watch this, I'm going to get the yeah. crossbar. Banter. Uh, yeah, see you later, Jono. Was it was the story that basically he said, yeah, he told the ref, yeah, I'm going for goal. Jono was basically psyching up the forwards for a line-out drive. And he turned around and Stimo was already sort of like getting the tee on. And, and actually the ref marched him back another two metres because he tried to bite off a bit more. Um, I, I, I love that. And Jono was like, oh, you better fucking get it now. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very naughty score. Well, uh, j- just as important as that, of course, was the conversion from Lloydy's score um, yeah. the year before which meant that Dominguez, who'd been kicking everything, couldn't go for uh, for the posts when we conceded the penalty, as we inevitably did uh, straight from the restart. Yeah, that was the, the next kick I was going to reference. Oh, I thought sorry. It was a, no, it's fine. No, it, absolutely. It's a, it's a 
in its own right, it's as important as the tries, really, because if you without Stimo and his kicking boots. And again, it's actually, we bring it back to Pollard. We mentioned about Pollard earlier in this podcast about his ability to score points. Actually, Stimo is the living, breathing embodiment of having a quality goal kicker because Stimo, as we said, wins us trophies and gets us over the line. Um, unfortunately, he didn't win this one. Um, Geordie went away with it, um, as I say, 82% to 18, which means our team is complete and the team is complete exactly how I probably would want it. I think it is a fantastic mm. 15. Shall we go for it? Just go for it. Quick go run for through. it. We'll, we'll, I'll write it out. I'll, I'll, I'll do what we did last time. I'll write it out at 15 so you can have a look at it. Um, so you can, everyone can have a, a, a nosy down to see um, what we've got. But this is an awesome 15. It just shows you how lucky we are as fans. I, I mean, dear Lord, look at this. Ayurza, Montoya and Dan Cole, front row. Martin Johnson and Ben Kay, second row. A back row is formed of Tom Croft, Neil Back and Jasper Visa. A back line of Ben Youngs and George Ford at halfbacks. Pat Howard and Manu Tuolagi in the centres. Left wing, Alessandro Tuolagi. Right wing, Austin Healy. And at 15, Geordie Murphy. I mean, dear Lord. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean... It, it, it's what well, I, I love. I think um, Pelham, uh, one of our listeners, tweeted about it, said the fact you'd have three playmakers you've got Fordy, Howard and Healy basically cutting shapes with some strike runners like Manu two Tuolagis and Jordan Murphy I mean it's just uh it's just fantastic to think about and it's a hell of a team now let's let's say we'll post up the starting 15 but I think because it, there are so many good players not involved in that it feels right that we should probably do a bench for this one. Um, I think there are some where we're going to just automatically select them because it's obvious. For example, uh, we have Marcus Ayertza in the Lucent shirt. Now, he was a walkover for the imports against the Homegrown Heroes, which was a vote between Roundtree and Genge, and Roundtree won that. So rather than do a vote again with Roundtree against Genge, Roundtree, we've already he's already won that vote, so he'll go straight into the subs bench. Uh, and same goes for the hooker spot, actually. So we'll have a look through. We'll see where the the arguments might need to be had. I'm thinking Castro Giovanni versus White. Uh, yeah, yeah. In yep. the in the tight head, reserve tight head front, that is going to be very exciting. The back, I mean, like reserve fly half, you're going to have Stransky against Flood. Um, second row, back row, you still got Moody and Corey, who you want to try and get in. I presume that is going to be very very challenging. And then finally, um, you say the back three. If we even take the the uh, the runners up in all of those, let's just say thirteen to fifteen slots, and then put those four in. Still pick Ollie Smith, obviously. I would personally, but he wasn't in there. But you could have Rambini versus Lloyd versus Vianu versus Stimson for that twenty-three shirt. That's worth a vote off. It is going to be good. We also need to choose who our um, director of rugby is going to be as well, because it was Dino versus Pat Howard. So um, Howard could have the distinction of player-manager on this one. <laughs> well, we joked um, about that before, didn't we, when we said it was imports versus uh, homegrown in that uh, Jono would just... Jono's team talk would be take out Pat Howard, basically break his knees in the first sort of 10 minutes because then you've taken their coach out as well. So, no, look, I just I just love this 15. I really enjoy how it how it's formed out. And I think you could play the game five or six different ways and get a victory by five, five, six different ways. But we'll um, 
yeah, we'll pop that up so, to, so everyone can have a nosy out down on it. I will get some votes organised as well. Very, very good. Yeah, votes coming out this week. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We're trying to get something good in the works for next week because we don't have a game to talk about. We don't have a game to look forward to. But as always, we'll try and get creative to make something tasty for your ears to listen to. In the meantime, have a good week, everyone, and see you next time. Bye.